Uh, we're in week two of a series that we're in calling, uh, that we're titling, ooh, Storytellers. Uh, and, and last week, uh, we talked about how there's power in, in stories. And, and that's truth, isn't it? Stories are, are powerful things. Uh, we've all heard or, or read stories that have had deep impact on us. You know, a story of an athlete who overcomes an injury only to find uh, success, motivates somebody who's struggling with a similar injury to to persevere. Someone testifies of of struggling with addiction. Maybe in an AA meeting, they testify and they encourage another participant to stay sober just one more day. A person posts on on Facebook their, their weight loss story, and that leads someone to go to Dairy Queen and get a blizzard. You know, those things... People's stories have impact on us, especially stories of faith. When I was in Niger in 2001, early 2002, uh, on a mission trip, we did a lot of prayer walking. We we did a Bible school in a remote village that uh, was far more than we could ever expect. We showed the Jesus film one night in another village. It it was an incredible two weeks, but I had two small girls at home. Uh, And and I'll be honest, I was getting really, really homesick. Two weeks is a long time to be away from a a four-and-a-half-year-old and and a a little over one-year-old. And and, and I was struggling, and I I think they were struggling. And at the end of our time, we led a retreat for some some church planners. Uh, About four national pastors, four uh, Nigerian pastors, were were leading congregations, the largest of which was about seven people. There were almost no believers in Niger. But they wanted to have a time of encouragement for these few pastors. And so they invited them to come to the capital city in Niamey. And there we were going to love on them. We were going to encourage them. And they'd ask me to lead a Bible study in James for them. And so I'd prepared for that. As we started the Bible study, one of the church planters hadn't made it. And this was pre-cell phone service. And we really didn't know what was going on. After about six hours of us meeting together, we had two days together. After about six hours, uh, this church planter named Adresa came in. He lived in the farthest reaches of Niger from Niamey, and it was about a 20-hour uh, bus ride. And when I say bus ride, they had what we called bush taxis. And a bush taxi, think Scooby-Doo van with about 30 people in it, that was what it was, and it was a a really, really difficult journey. But on his last stop, about an hour away from Niamey, Adresa was beaten and robbed. And he had to walk the rest of the way. He walked for several hours to get there. And he said, guys, we said, Adresa, thank you for coming but you walked all of this way. He said, I wanted to be with you. I love you guys. All of a sudden, my homesickness seemed insignificant. You know, stories are powerful, aren't they? They're not only 
a, a powerful thing, but they're a useful tool. God has chosen our stories of wh- how we were saved and what we've been through and, and, and who God has put in our life. He uses those things for his glory. So every believer is supposed to tell their story. And this has been the case since like the Old Testament. The psalmist said, come and listen, all who fear God, and I'm going to tell you what he's done for me. That's who we're supposed to be. In fact, the Great Commission is that we're to receive power from the Holy Spirit, and then we're to go and witness and tell the great works that God has done through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our job. It's not just a preacher thing. It's not a job for a select group of super spiritual people. It's everybody's job. The best way for us to engage our world with the good news is not inviting people to church. Now, I don't want you to stop, but that's not the best way to engage. The best way to engage people with our messages in our networks at school, in our networks at, at work, in, in our neighborhoods, in our families, tell the story of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. And we should tell our story because it's an effective method of getting the word out, but we should tell our story because people will listen to it. People have let you into their network already, and they will listen to how God has, has worked in your life. Now, you might think that you don't have much to say, but we talked about last week how all believers have a story of mercy and much. Every believer has a mercy story. We were all dead in sin. We were all lost without Christ. We had all rebelled in our heart and, and gone our own way. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm amazed at the grip that sin seems to have on people's lives. I mean, it it blows me away sometimes. You know, a a, a drug addict finds themselves in an incredible mess. And and they've burned bridges left and right, and they get sober, and their family takes them back in for the 19th time. and, And yet that pull of the drug still seems to be so strong in their life. Or a man who loses his family because of an affair who's gone through the mess and brokenness of having to confess up of what he's done. And, and yet, years, months later, that man texts somebody else. Sin has such a strong grip on people's heart. A person who got in trouble because of their temperate work continues to mouth off at the boss. We see that we see that person, and I see that person, and I realize, but by the grace and mercy of God, there go I. I'm so grateful for His grace and His, his mercy. And, and, and almost all of us can think not only of the mercy that God has shown, but we can think of the much that God has given. God has blessed me tremendously. He's given me hope. I, I've always believed that there's a better out there. There's, there's a, a better to come. Through Jesus, I, I know that that's true. Uh, he, he has not only, only given me hope, he has, has given me uh, the discernment. Uh, he has, has blessed me with great friends. He's blessed me with a church family, church families through the years. He's blessed me with experiences. He's financially blessed me. God has done so much for me. And, and who knows how much more God has done for me that I'm not even aware of. 
You know, we count our blessings and we think, man, we made this laundry list of blessings. But let's be honest, God's probably blessed us uh, infinitely more than we can possibly ever imagine. He's done so much for us. We all have those stories and we should tell of his mercy and much. But how do you do that? How do you tell people your story? How do we engage our friends? How do we share what God has done? Today, we're going to think about some of the principles that, that, I, that I believe help us when we tell our story. If you have your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're going to start. I want to set the context. The, the church at Corinth was established by Paul on one of his missionary journeys. It was a church established in a very diverse city. They had lots of religious diversity there. And and this religious diversity led to some confusion in the church. And the confusion in the church ultimately led to division. And so Paul steps in and he writes 1 Corinthians. Now, if you've ever read the book of 1 Corinthians, almost in chapter 1, Paul starts addressing issues that the church is having. They have issues of leadership. They have issues of of their worship practices. They have issues regarding the spiritual gifts. And as you read this, Paul comes down pretty hard on the church. He doesn't pull any punches. But apparently, after Paul sent this first letter, there were some people who said, Who's Paul think he is? What right does Paul have to talk to us like this? And so in 2 Corinthians, he, he, he rebukes the, the false teachers who are undermining the gospel and questioning his authority. And in our passage today, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul is defending his apostleship, that he has been sent by God, and that he has the right to speak into the life of the Corinthian church. Now, Y'all know me, those of you who've been at church here for a while, I like to deal with the main point of a passage. And that's where I like to camp out and stay. Well, today we're not going to do that. The main point of this passage is, and don't miss this, Paul is establishing his right to tell the church deep truths. That's the main point. He's defending his apostleship, and he is telling them, this is why I really am an apostle of Jesus Christ. And by the way, side note, the application for us today is be leery of people who call themselves apostles. I'm scared of churches that are pastored by the true apostle. Uh, Paul seems to say that that's a very limited bunch. And those guys wrote the scripture The early church studied the apostles' teaching, and when the apostles died, they read the apostles' words. Be careful. That's the application of this text. But as Paul defends himself, Paul tells his story of how God has worked in his life and what God has done. And and here's what we're going to do today. As we look at Paul telling his story of who he is and what he's done... We're going to look at the principles that, that I believe are found of how you can tell your story well. So, so let's, let's, uh, l- let's jump in. The first principle we're going to look at today is Paul was authentic. They were making accusations that, that Paul was all talk, and, and he talked big when he wrote in letters, but he wasn't consistent in his life. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 10, 
For it is said, people were talking about Paul, his letters were weighty and powerful, but his physical presence is weak, and his public speaking is despicable. Paul responds and says, such a person should consider this. What we are in the words of our letters, when absent, we will be in actions when present. We are are the same to your face as we are behind your back. Paul Paul's desire is evident. I want to be consistent. Hypocrisy wasn't on his agenda. You see, Paul knew something. The quickest way to undermine your story is for people to know that's not who you really are. You you can say you love Jesus. You can proclaim he's all the world to you. You can talk about how he motivates you to missional living. But if that's not who you are, your story is irrelevant. You see, impactful stories come from people who are living their faith 24-7. Those are the stories that change the world. You know, when you first become a parent, you're blown away by the beautiful gift that God has given you. And I mean, it is is an amazing thing. You're walking on air for months, and then when your kids get to be about two or three, in spite of all the challenges, they still look at you like you're this rock star hero that can't do anything wrong. And then they turn about seven. And, and they still think you hung the moon, but they're starting to think, wait a minute. And then you get about ten, and they start to think that dad, who's rock star, might not be rock star. And dad has flaws and problems as well. One of the things that I realized early on is my daughters will judge Jesus by my life. And preachers can get so caught up in that how you doing fine lifestyle. That they turn it off when they go home. And I didn't want that to be me. And so I started praying when my kids were early on, or early in their life. I started praying, God, help their preacher to be their dad and their dad to be their preacher. Help me to be the same. And, and, and I'll be honest, I had to take down the how you doing fine stuff a little bit and just be myself. And at home, I had to really pray, Lord, let me be more like Jesus every day, even when I'm at home. And, and I still fail and I have feet of clay, but that is my desire because I know that my story of what Jesus has done in my life is impacted by how consistently I live. You want to have a powerful story? Walk the walk. Yeah, we all have feet of clay. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. But we almost also must remember our story is watched more than it's heard. And people judge the validity of what we say by the, its impact on what we do. Before I became your pastor, I was a, a consultant for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. And when I was talking to ministers, I could almost guarantee you that their former pastor, the pastor who preceded them, was not their friend. Isn't that sad? Either they were dealing with the mess he had made or they were trying to live up to the comparisons congregants constantly made. And it's not a new phenomenon. Paul's adversaries were constantly comparing Paul's ministry to others and it didn't set well with Paul. He wasn't into uh, comparisons. And in 1 Corinthians 3, he said, some people say that you should be more like Apollos and some people say you should be more like Cephas or Peter. Paul said, I'm just trying to be who God has made me. He said, when you, when you do those kind of comparisons, you're acting like lost people. 
And he reiterates his disgust for this practice in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He says, we don't dare compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. In measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves to themselves, they're ignorant. This is not what God has called you to do. Paul wasn't trying to live up or to be like someone else. He didn't need to outpace, outperform, outshine other church leaders. I believe the principle at play when he was presenting himself, he, he was himself. He, he, he was himself. So many people believe their spiritual story is not exciting enough. They feel they have nothing to say. And Satan whispers into ears, your story is boring. Your story's irrelevant. And then we hear other people's story and that moves us and we want to be like them. I was called to preach when I was 16 years old. About 16 and a half is when God gripped my heart and called me to leave a lukewarm lifestyle and give him my everything. Little did I know that was going to lead me to the pulpit, but that is where God led me in my surrender of my everything to him. As soon as I started preaching, Satan started whispering, stirring in my mind, you're not articulate enough. You don't know enough. And I started listening to other preachers thinking, boy, if I could copy somebody who's really good, maybe I'll be good. And for a while, I wanted to be like Adrian Rogers. But he was too tall, you know. And so I picked Jerry Vines. And if you know who Jerry Vines is, you understand why I picked him. But he was just way too smooth, you know. And then I wanted to be like Andy Stanley because, you know, Andy could just hold an audience and he he just... I just couldn't be like, like any of those guys. You know, so, so, so for years, preaching was this frustrating exercise that I thought I had to fit into somebody's box. And then finally, I just started being me. And it was liberating. That, that God could, could use me with all my flaws and with the struggles that I have sometimes getting it out right and with, you know, the... the, the the lack of understanding all that God could use me. That was liberating to me. There's something about our spiritual lives that makes people think that, that we need to be something else. One pastor said it this way. He said, listen, God made you an original. Don't be a copy. He he created you original. Don't let Satan devalue your story. Don't listen to Satan's whisper. What God's done in your life doesn't matter. Your story's not good enough. Apparently God thinks it is. He redeemed you and planned your life in the fashion it has been planned for His glory. And remember, your story's unique. It's not only unique in its makeup, it's also unique in how you tell it. You'll not always tell your story the same way. Your story will vary depending on the audience you're talking to. Uh, uh, I'm going to talk differently to a 10-year-old than I am to a 40-year-old. We'll share different aspects of our story to a person who's on the verge of death than we will with a young dad. Your story will vary depending on your life experiences. What you have gone through influences your testimony. And life stage will dictate our story. 
uh, young parents will probably tell of God's grace in parenting. Students are more likely to tell of God's help overcoming loneliness and temptation. Seniors will tell the story of hope in spite of frailty. Those stories may vary. Our stories are not supposed to be cookie cutters. The gospel isn't intended to be packaged like an MRE. It is a living hope that changes individuals' lives. There is a word of caution that I want to tell you here. And that is we can get wrapped up in our story to the point that we forget telling our story is not about us. Telling our story is for, for His greatness, for His fame, for His glory. Paul believed this, so, so before he told his story to 2 Corinthians, he said, listen, the one who boasts must not boast in anything but the Lord. If you boast, it's only about the Lord. He's getting ready to spend two chapters telling his story and all of his exploits. But before he tells it, he said, listen, everything I'm about to tell you is nothing compared to what Jesus has done for me. It's all about his glory. One of my favorite athletes is Tim Tebow. For 31 years, I've not been able to talk positively about him. But uh, I guess that's all right now. You know, he was a great college quarterback. I mean, we have to give him his due. He was an average to bad NFL quarterback. Uh, he's an average minor league baseball player right now. But he's still one of my favorite athletes because he's such a solid follower of Christ. What I like about him is whenever people praise him, he deflects praise. And it seems really natural for him to deflect praise to the Savior and not allow it to be heaped on him. He, he, he makes, makes Jesus the hero. And that's the principle that I want you to understand. When you're telling your story, celebrate Jesus. Jesus is the true hero of every believer's story. And we must learn to deflect praise because people will give it to us. They will. And it's our job as believers to tell people, oh, whoa, wait a minute. I'm just a messed up person like you are. Jesus picked me up out of the pit and set my feet on the rock. I don't know where I'm going, but Jesus is the one who guides my path. I'm weak, but he is strong. We need to deflect praise. Part of the reason we need to deflect praise is because little of old, old us can get in the way of great big God. Remember when you were young and you would be in art class and they were trying to teach you perspective? And they would give you a quarter or something like that. And you would be looking at like a mountain. And all of a sudden they'd say, take that quarter and, and put it in front of your eye. And you'd put that quarter in front of your eye, you couldn't see a thing. And, and you could push that out a ways and it would still block your view. Guys, we can push ourselves out a ways and, 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 and try to not take credit, but it can block people's view of Jesus. So we need to make sure that that we take the initiative to make Jesus the hero. When we tell our stories, yes, we overcame a habit, but it was by the grace of God. Yes, we've been blessed with resources, but all good gifts are from Him. Yes, we've been allowed to use giftings and abilities from God and for God, but it's God who provides. Our life is completely from Him. We, we want so badly 
to talk about human reasons and give human credit, but as God's chosen people, as a people who were dead in sins and trespasses, as a people with a heart that fails and and a body that's in bondage to decay, we must know above all that the only one who's worthy of real glory is the one who overcame sin, defeated the grave, and controls the beginning and the end. We are not God, and we must deflect praise. Guys, I I say this all the time, and I think it makes people uncomfortable, but we're all living in a house of cards. Every one of us are. And the stability of our life is is completely dependent upon the sovereign control of God. But because of Jesus, I I can live with the fact that I'm living in a house of cards because I'm more than a conqueror. If, if, If hardship comes my way, I'm okay because I don't have fear of death. Because of Jesus, I can endure what comes. Through Jesus, I can give my life away. I can have hope when everything falls apart. Oh, we all have different plot twists. And those things make our story interesting. But never forget that every story is Jesus-dependent. Everyone. In chapter 11, Paul tells his story. He says it's foolish to brag about his exploits. So, so, so he he. He, he doesn't. He talks about how God has blessed him, how he was born a Hebrew, and how he was zealous, and how he recognized that he had lots of privilege. But because he met Jesus, he left a lot of that behind, and he, he shared how he had suffered for the gospel. And in verse 23, he says, these people who say I'm not an apostle, are they servants of Christ? Now, I know I'm getting ready to talk like a madman, but, but man, come on. I'm better than those guys. Far more labors, many more imprisonments, far more beatings, near death many times. Five times I received a beating with 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods by the Romans. Once I was stoned by my enemies. Three times shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, from robbers, from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, in the open country, in the sea, among false brothers, labor and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, lacking clothing. I mean, this is a tough life, not to mention other things. I'm like, what else you got there, Paul? I mean, there's daily pressure. And then on top of that, I deal with the pressure of knowing that I'm responsible to lead y'all guys well. And Paul's got a heavy load. And those who questioned his apostleship, Paul basically says, why would somebody go through this if they weren't called by God? Then he says, in verse 1, he says, boasting is necessary. He knew what he did, but it did not matter Jesus wasn't the hero, and so he continues telling his story. He says, it's not profitable. I know it's not, but I'm going to move on and tell you another story about a man who received revelations from the Lord. Uh, God gave him a vision. He says, I know a man in Christ who was caught up in the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God gave him a vision, and he wasn't sure if it was an out-of-body experience or, or if God just miraculously lifted him up. Uh, he, he goes, listen to verse 3. This is important for us today. Verse 3, he says, I know that this man, whether in the body or not out of the body, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up into paradise, and he heard inexpressible words. And notice this next phrase, which a man is not allowed to speak. 
if the Apostle Paul, who was chosen by God as one born out of time to write a majority of the New Testament, can't tell you what he saw when he went to heaven, why would we think that a little boy has that right? Be careful getting sucked in by every person who says they had great images and they saw stuff. Be careful. Just say it. Paul couldn't say. He went through this incredible experience and he says, I will boast about this person but not about myself except in my weakness. I could tell you all the good things I've seen. I could tell you what God has gone, uh, had me go through but, but, but I'm, I would rather talk about my weaknesses. Verse 7. Because of these extraordinary revelations, he said, a messenger of Satan was sent to me so that I would not exalt myself. He said, I prayed with God over and over. I pleaded for God to deliver me from this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more in my weaknesses, so that Christ's strength, his power, may reside in me. So what's the principle for us telling our story? I think it's pretty straightforward. But it's... Be transparent and be humble. We want to hide our weaknesses. Paul said, let me tell you about my weaknesses. As you think about your story, don't try to hide the fact that you're not perfect. Be transparent. We all face temptations. We all face hardships. We all face fears. Sometimes people are afraid to talk about their weaknesses because they'll be used against them. I understand, but I want you to know my testimony is not. I was strong and God is leveraging me for his kingdom. My testimony is I was a wreck and I was broken. But by the grace of God, he has delivered me and he is using me. And in spite of my feet of clay, in spite of my double-minded mind at sometimes, in spite of my heart that sometimes fell, he has strengthened me and walked with me. That's my testimony. There's two reasons that I would encourage you to highlight your weaknesses in your story. Number one, Jesus gets the credit. And number two, people can relate. Broken people are everywhere. One last principle I'll give you, then we'll wrap up this morning. It's found in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 14. Paul says, I'm ready to come to you this third time, and I'm not going to burden you. For I'm not seeking what is yours, but I'm just seeking you guys. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's saying, I will gladly spend and be spent for you. I will give my life for you. What's the principle there? The principle to me is you've got to love people to tell your story well. If you don't love the people you're sharing with, you probably should not share. Our faith story is received best by those who know that we love them sincerely. We may have an atheistic co-worker or a lost neighbor or a struggling friend who seems apathetic toward faith. But they are much more apt to hear hope if they feel love. Because our faith story is received best by those who sense our love. So let's wrap things up this morning. I'm going to challenge you I'm going to challenge you in this series to tell your story. 
to tell what God has done for you. But I'm going to challenge you this morning by asking you this question. Do you have a story of God working in your life? Do you have a hope that endures even when your health does not? Do do you have a sense that God is with you wherever you are in life? That's God's desire for everybody. Today, I'd love for you to let God begin writing your story anew in Jesus Christ. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, why not today say yes to Jesus? Like Darren did a couple of weeks ago when she said yes to Jesus. Or maybe you're here today and like Isaac did today, you've been a believer for a while but you've never been baptized God's desire in everybody's story is to have a moment where as a believer, they willfully get baptized to show the world that that they have faith in Christ. Maybe a part of your story needs to be, I got plugged into a church and really started growing in my faith. Maybe that's the chapter that needs to be written today. Maybe the chapter of your story is, I, I went through a really hard time but Jesus is so good, I will not let him go. Maybe today you just need some people to pray with you as you're going through that hard time.